Hello and welcome to The Independent Minds, a series of conversations between Abbasida and people who think outside the box about how work works with the aim of creating better workplace experiences for everyone. I am your host, Michael Millward, the Managing Director of Abbasida. Today I am joined by Chris Thomason, who is the author of Freaky Thinking, Thinking that delivers a dazzling difference. Hello, Chris. Michael, thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. I'm looking forward to finding out a little bit more about freaky thinking. And I'm looking forward to telling you about it too. Thank you very much. Could we start by you telling us, first of all, what freaky thinking is? Where did the title come from? What what does it mean? It's about a whole new way of thinking. I'm actually saying it's the first new way of business thinking for 70 years And there's a reason I say 70 years. It's that 70 years ago was when brainstorming was birthed. And in a way, our go-to techniques in the work environment are about brainstorming, getting people in a room together to think. But actually, we don't think the best way in a room together with others. We think better when we're on our own, in our best place. And then we should come together with our best ideas. So I'm trying to turn thinking around on its head that we don't think together in a room. We think individually and then come together with our with our finalized ideas. So uh, it's a very different approach. And I'm just calling it a freaky approach to try and get attention to the fact that it is it is so different. We do. We go into meetings and people say, leave your ego at the door. There's no such thing as a silly idea. There's no such thing as a stupid question. We can just brainstorm, get all the ideas down without any judgment or assessment, just get all the ideas down. And yet, yeah, you're right. In those sorts of meetings, it's a few people who will come up with the ideas. And what you're saying is that freaky thinking would enable the ordinary individual, the person who isn't the vivacious person who's very confident in those group meetings to actually sit down or walk or ride or whatever it is, find their space where they're going to be able to focus on thinking about an issue, a challenge, a problem, and then come up with their best ideas and then share that with other people. That's right. I mean, the very rules of thinking and brainstorming that there should only be one person talking at a time, and you're supposed to listen to that person, a good rule. But what that means is there's always somebody talking, which means You're supposed to be listening. So when do you actually try and think and do some deep thinking to engage with them? And as you said, there are no wild ideas. Everyone's ideas are equal and everyone has equal rights to their ideas. But actually what it's saying is everyone has equal opportunity and equal time. How they use that time is different. Some people might use it on a more focused manner, giving more practical but still differentiated ideas where the others might just say crazy things because that's, that is outside-the-box thinking. But is it of value? Um, and I recommend that actually those ideas might sound weird and wonderful, but they're of no value at all in the business. The freaky thinking actually results in more focused thinking as well. It does indeed. That I ask people, where are you when you get your best ideas? And invariably, they'll say, in the shower, driving, walking the dog at the gym. And it's always times when you're actually on the on your own. Okay, you may have the dog with you, but the dog often doesn't interrupt your thinking very much. 
but there are times when you're doing an activity, performing an activity of some kind, but at the same time, you've got my brain capacity to be mulling over what I call those killer questions, those important issues in your head. And it's a mere fact that you've actually got an activity being performed that helps you to think better. Uh, there is research been done that actually shows that people who do what they call light activities rather than heavy, intense activities outperform people thinking rather than those who just sit and do nothing between two tests. That giving people a, a light task to do between the two tests improves their thinking because subconsciously they're still working on the issue between the first test and the second test. And that's exactly what we do when we're at the gym or in the shower. Little tasks that we don't really have to think about, but it just occupies a part of our mind enough such that the other part can focus on that killer question that's niggling away, something that's unanswered, but you value and you'd really like to come up with some new ideas for. Yes, it, it's, it sounds almost as if there is some logic and truth to the, the saying about not being able to see the wood for the trees. When you separate yourself from the wood, you do something else and all of a sudden you can you can see the you can see the trees in the wood and you can find that solution because your brain is is not fogged by all the detail of the issue it, it's able to think things through on its own whilst you are engaged in another activity very true because if you're thinking hard on a topic you're focusing on the detail the big picture the small picture will these bits fit together whereas if it's your subconscious that's mulling something over. It's almost like daydreaming, but daydreaming on a specific topic. It's what I call the meanderscape. You're in your meanderscape, and that's where you do your rich thinking. Um, if you try and get there by yourself, you can't, because effectively you're focusing on your topic then. And that's what the activity does. It occupies a part of your brain and lets the other part, which is called the default mode network, to actually start wandering around, meandering around your issue. And the aim is to just to try and light, light touch, keep your thinking around that issue, not to let it wander off entirely. Uh, I'm trying to picture how this would work inside an organization, putting my HR human resources hat on and thinking, okay, we could almost give people a brief of the issues that we're trying to address. And give them the opportunity to ask questions and then let them go off and do whatever it is that they wanted to do and then reconvene or find a way of sharing that doesn't mean to say that people need to do the sharing in that brainstorming type format. It's, it could be, you could do it by email, you could do it anonymously via some type of platform, but you would get the ideas from people that they'd been thinking through in this, in this mental process. True excuse me, without actually having to consciously do it. Very true. If you're having a regular meeting, say weekly, two weekly, monthly, you'd say, oh, the next monthly meeting, let's brainstorm this activity. You'd all come together and you do your thinking there live and come up with ideas on the topic. But as I said, I'm trying to reverse that. And instead, it's something I call proactive procrastination which might sound strange. How can you proactively put something off? But at the one meeting, you'll decide this is a topic we're going to think on. We'll decide whether we're going to break it down into sub-questions, who's going to think on what. But we don't do the thinking in the meeting. 
we procrastinate, we put it off. To allow people time to do their thinking on their topic before the next meeting. And as you say, Michael, that you don't bring all your ideas and unload them in the meeting. That might take up uh, one hell of a lot of time. But you can do it asynchronously between the meetings. Whatever platform you have, be it, um, be it on, on your intranet, for example, you could just put all your ideas up there. You might even identify your top two. Others can do the same, and you can be seeing their ideas. So when you go into that next meeting in a month's time, all you do is each person can just bring their best two ideas, but they may have seen how people have said, and you could do this, and that fits with mine nicely. So you're taking into the meeting some radically different, partially shaped concepts for the, the people in the meeting to discuss. And as I say, I call that proactive procrastination. It sounds like fun, to be honest, to actually be allowed to take time to think something through without actually having to do it in a formal, structured way. Sounds very productive, really. Well, even more so given the hybrid working. Uh, people very rarely tell me they get their, their best ideas in room 402 between 10 and 11 o'clock next Tuesday when you've booked that brainstorming session. <laughs> if they get their best ideas walking the dog, when you're doing hybrid working, well, wait a minute, I've got half an hour. Let me go for a walk in the park, take the dog, just go around the garden and just mull this thing over. So in a way, you can find your best time. It might be a little impractical to take a shower, for example, but certainly you can go for a walk around when you're working from home come back, capture your ideas, and you've got far more quality thinking time in that half hour than you would have in, in the office at a desk where you've got interruptions and the usual paraphernalia around you of people just making noises and being disruptive. Yes, it, it sounds what you're getting to is a point where you remove the structures, which enables people to think more freely. And also you're removing the the pressure to think at a particular point in time. I've worked in lots of different organizations where brainstorming was almost the norm. If there was a problem, then you get together with a colleague, we brainstorm the ideas or a group of colleagues, you know, we'll brainstorm them, uh, we'll come up with a great solution. And it's, it is the normal type of activity when organizations are faced with a challenge or a problem is to brainstorm the solutions. And yet, from what you're saying, it's not the best way to do it, is it? Why do they stick with it? They stick with it because there is no alternative. You'd think common sense tells you we're going to put an hour aside, we're going to get the right people in a room, we've got the, the problem we want to address. Theoretically, that should be the way to go. And we've given it the name brainstorming. But brainstorming, as I mentioned, 70 years ago, 1953, it was launched. The first study of brainstorming was done in 1958 by Yale University, and they actually found that individuals, compared to groups brainstorming, the individuals came up with both a greater quantitative ideas and a deemed better quality of ideas too. And there have been over 300 studies on brainstorming and in 2012, there was a meta-analysis of them. And across the board, it was conclusively shown that individuals thinking alone outperform brainstorming. But as I say, nobody has any 
practical alternative. And in a way, it's a term we use for thinking, let's brainstorm. And to be honest, at least it gets people together. At least it puts time in diaries for thinking. That's about the only good value that it really does. I think often you might find that, yes, it was fun. It was a good team exercise. But the poor organiser who's got to try and find some value to take forward struggles to find something that is meaningful and viable to, as, a, as, a, as an outcome of the man hours spent in that session. I, see, I think I see what, where, what you mean. It sounds as if brainstorming is a device or a tool which organisations can use to build team or teamwork and to be able to say later on well you were in the room when this idea came up you were in the room when you know this could be discussed and you didn't say that you didn't like the idea it's almost brings back images of the apprentice program where they're all saying everybody in the team agreed that this was a this was the best thing to do and somebody says well i never really thought that it was but you never said anything you never said anything so there's <laughs> almost like getting everybody in the room to discuss ideas, come up with a solution, unless you put your hand up and say, I don't agree, it becomes everybody's solution. Now, the downside of the individual freaky type of approach might be that we can actually say, well, this idea came from so-and-so, but it still has to be agreed by everyone. And Everybody needs, but that's a more of a de, more of a debate of equals, isn't it? Because everybody's had the opportunity to come up with ideas. They've had their best thinking when they were individually thinking, when they're in their best thinking place. Shared their best ideas of all the ideas that they've had with their colleagues, and then the team can actually really investigate the ones that are most similar, because people will have similar types of ideas. When they will express them differently. They'll use different words. But if you ask five, six people to investigate an issue, the ideas that they come up with will be like a bell curve. There'll be a synergy between lots of the ideas. They'll be expressed differently, but there'll be ways in which they can, they're the same or ways in which they could work together to create a better solution. Very true. Some will be sizable in nature. Some will be smaller. But of course, if you start bolting some of the smaller ones onto the bigger ones to make it even better, maybe not necessarily bigger, but better. And in the end, when you start discussing a solution, you were there, you were in the room, you were part of the team that came up with this thing. So it's a great team building exercise, developing something new as part of a discussion. Often what happens in a brainstorming session at the end, you'll vote on the best ideas or even if you have a discussion, what tends to happen, you find the ideas that have the lowest common denominator for everybody there seem to be accepted. Nobody's objecting to them, as you mentioned. We all agree on this one. But it's not necessarily the best. If one person put a great idea forward, the others might not agree with it. But if they have got a chance to actually talk about it and say, I think this is good because it could help us achieve this, it would eliminate that, People might say, oh, wow, I never thought about that. Yes. But often the voting, it lowers the level until everybody's happy. So we all walk away happy. But unfortunately, as I say, the poor organiser, they've not got the value they were hoping for. We've got the solution which upset the least number of people rather than the best solution to the problem.
that's quite right. And perhaps sometimes the best solution might upset one or two people. But it's not about keeping people happy. It's about what's best for the organization or the team as a whole. And yeah, to try and satisfy every individual, as, as I said, you start lowering the quality. I'm sold on the idea. I have to say, I like the idea of being able to think independently. Obviously, we're on the podcast called The Independent Mind, so I am bound to like that concept. But I'm thinking about the practical application of freaky thinking. You've got a group of people who are familiar with the concept of brainstorming. Then we decide we're going to try some freaky thinking as a way of solving a problem. What would be the first sort of things that that a team leader or manager uh, might think to do to first uh, to get it working, to get people thinking in the in a constructive way about the issue? What's the sort of questions that they might ask? Questions is a key word because for me, it's identifying what the killer question is. Why are we here? What do we want to achieve? And too often we'll come up with a question and then we'll start heading down the route to find the answers. What are the ideas that can answer this question? But to me, the question is perhaps more important than the answers themselves because a brilliant answer to the wrong question isn't really of value to anybody. So I like to suggest spend a lot of time on the question. Is it the right question? Does everyone agree? And even let the question incubate for a few days. Sleep on it. And then the next morning, does that still seem like the best question? Often, when you look at your ideas, the next morning, they seem to shift slightly. The, the, the one that you thought was a good one perhaps isn't so strong, but something that wasn't high up has potential now. That's your subconscious working on it. And as well as working on the ideas, which are the answers to your question, it's always a good thing to actually start letting your subconscious work on the question and even check it with other people. If I asked this question and found some great answers to it, would it be of value to the organization? Or do you think I should change the question in some way? Obviously, when you start testing the question that way, the people you're testing it with are buying in. If they say, I think that's a brilliant question, I'd love to either A, know what the answers are, or B, be part of finding the answers. So in a way, Shaping a good question is a good way to buy pe get people bought into the process. So your killer question, that is a starting point. And really, a killer question has got to be something that is an inspiring question. It's got to be a hard issue that the organization hasn't either posed before or hasn't yet answered satisfactorily. And it's got to be enduring in nature. The fact that you might come up with a lot of ideas to answer this, you can't implement all of them straight away. But if it's of such a nature that the question lasts, you can reuse some of those answers in the future because an enduring question is always one that can be asked and therefore is always open to having new answers. So I'd say the best way is pose your killer question and inspire people with it to say, wow, that, that is a bit of a tricky question. But I feel it is possible to answer it. The creativity starts with asking the correct question, then giving people the right environment to be creative and a, and a system that they can use to be creative independently and then coming together into that new 21st century form of brainstorming, which is much more egalitarian. What you're outlining is 
something that is much more inclusive of everybody on the team and giving people the opportunity to voice their opinions after they've had this experience of thinking in a way that suits them. And we're constantly talking about how work needs to be more adaptable to the needs of people who are doing the work. And you're talking about the processes of work, the processes of improving how people work, the processes of creating better workplace experiences themselves actually need to be more focused on the needs of the people rather than simply the process. Very much so. We talk about the organization, organization thinking, but of course, organizations don't think. It's the individuals in the organizations that do the thinking. So it's got to be very much focused around human processes. Yep. I often think that perhaps we shouldn't have hum, human resources department. They should be mind resources uh, department because, in effect, the body is just the vehicle that moves the mind around. It's a mind that adds all the value, that solves our problems, and identifies our opportunities. I know it's a very much a people thing, but I think sometimes we, we tend to miss it's the minds that are most value to the individuals and to the organization. And so how can we actually support the minds? And the processes that we use should be appropriate too. When you look at many of the rooms where brainstorming or office work is done, they have that slightly magnolia-colored wall across between a pale brown and a pale gray. It's hardly an inspiring room. Fortunately, a lot of organizations are recognizing this and trying to make more, more workspaces that are conducive to short-term teams coming together and disappearing after an hour or so or having done their thing rather than having banks of desks and meeting rooms. So those are the softer processes which can help the individuals to, to actually excel mentally. Yes, it's interesting that I've been into offices where the walls are decorated to look like uh, a pathway into a wood, uh, a path across fields. Whereas say if a field or a wood is your great thinking place, then that is where you need to be, not in a room with a picture of a field on the wall. <laughs> That's been really interesting, Chris, really interesting. I like the idea of, of HR people being mind resource managers or talent managers, I think is one of the terms that is used uh, quite a lot now in human resources. We are managing talent, which is one of the results of people being able to apply their mind, but certainly learned an awful lot and I'm grateful for your time. So thank you very much, Chris. Thank you for telling us about freaky thinking. And thank you for your time. It's been my pleasure. And thank you to you for listening to The Independent Minds. I am Michael Millward, the Managing Director of Abbasida, and I have been having a conversation with the independent mind, Chris Thomason, who is the author of Freaky Thinking, thinking that delivers a dazzling difference. You can find out more about both of us at abbasida.co.uk. There is a link in the description. If you have liked this edition of The Independent Minds, please give it a like and download this podcast. To ensure that you don't miss out on future editions, please subscribe. And remember, the aim of all the podcasts produced by Abbasida is not to tell you what to think, but we do hope to make you think. Thank you.